Good morning. Let me begin by uh, just expressing my sincere gratitude for the family in Christ here for giving me this opportunity. Uh, some of you may not know me. Uh, I've had the privilege of preaching now for uh, almost 33 years. And my wife and I, we now live in the Tampa area where I'm working for uh, Florida College. But part of the deal I made with the school was I'd still get to preach. Uh, and so I have the wonderful opportunity to travel a lot, whether it's for the school or or speaking at churches, uh, teen things is what I really enjoy doing. And so it's just an honor to be here. So thank you very, very much. And I will say this, it's always fun to go to different places because invariably you're gonna run into somebody that you've known from times past. Uh, the Jeffreys, we actually go way back. He is real old, I don't know if you know that or not. Uh, but yeah, I know, if you're kidding, it's, it's just so much fun. Uh, to see people they have seen. I, in fact, I came in this morning and somebody goes, hey, I met you in Washington, New Jersey. I'm like, oh my word, Washington, New Jersey. Uh, how does that happen? And we end up in Phoenix together. And so I, I want you to know this, and this is very important, especially if you don't have a wonderful blessing like I do to travel to many different places. There are amazing servants of God all over the place. And don't believe the fake news you see on TV all the time about Christianity going down and, and all that. It's not true because I have the privilege to hang out with a lot of wonderful brethren all over. Just came from Tennessee and it's actually with David and David Carosa, Dana Carosa, if you know them. And then here I get to run into the leeches and get to meet all you. I, I will combat that fake news anywhere I offer in as any opportunity that I can. And so it's a privilege to be with you. So thank you so very, very much. And let me just say one more thing. That was right on cue. If there's no crying, the church is dying. This place rocks. And I mean that with all sincerity. I say that back home, we are blessed with so many families and so many children. And to me, that is beautiful music. Uh, and so God bless you. God bless you for your growth. God bless you for your families. And it's always a joy to hear children uh, whenever you can, but especially in a worship service. All right, hope you have the Heavenly Library with you. Let me invite you to take down the Gospel of John and go to John chapter 19. John chapter 19, I want to begin by reading a story today that's going to set the tone for our lesson together. And this, more than likely, is a story that you have read before. John chapter 19, I'll begin in verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Now, I need to stop right there. Y'all probably do a daily Bible reading here, don't you? We do back home. Love, love, love daily Bible readings. But you know one of the challenges to reading through the Bible? It's very easy for us not to stop for a moment and just meditate and think about what we just read. Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. It takes me about five seconds to read it. But that's an ordeal that took over 30 minutes, if not longer. Where a man is laid bare 
stretched out from a post, feet dangling where his back is taunt. And a big burly soldier will take a whip. In those leather whips, there are sometimes tied glass or sharp objects just to make sure when the victim is struck that they bleed. I want you to see this because Luke wants us to see this. You and I have never experienced a flogging. I'm going to assume you've never experienced or seen it. But this passage begins with that trauma, that visual. And for you and I to get what the gospel writer is trying to get us to see, we have to get this. And Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on his head. And they arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and he said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Can you see that? I, I, I want you to know from Pilate's perspective, what Pilate is trying to do, he's actually trying to get out of this. He's, he's trying to pass the buck. He really doesn't want to crucify Jesus, even though that's what the masses and especially the Jewish leaders are clamoring for. He really doesn't want to do it, so he's trying to just pacify everybody. He's trying to pass the buck. He's a true politician. So here's what he thinks. Here's what's going on in his mind. They're wanting to kill him because he claims to be God. I'll show them and I'll show everybody here, he's not God. And here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to make him bleed. And please note, please note, as Luke is sharing this through the inspiration of the Spirit, the blood is flowing from Jesus from head to toe. Now get this in your mind. Can you imagine somebody punching Jesus? Can you see somebody rearing back and just hitting him in the face? That's what happened. So when Jesus comes out before this crowd, and this is Pilate's plan, he's not standing like a superhero. He's standing like a man who is literally within an inch of death. His face bludgeoned. His back bleeding. Hunched over probably. Wincing in pain. And Pilate says, see? He's just a man. 
Now, here's what I want you and I to do this morning because I want us to see this because this is a challenge for us. If you're like me, you grew up going to Bible class, you grew up believing in God possibly, and you grew up being taught Jesus was the Son of God. And so the challenge with that is this. We have a difficult time seeing God as a man. That's hard for us. But in this day and age, and what Pilate is doing, is Pilate is showing he was just a man. And the people in that day and age struggled to see him as deity. In fact, John, when he begins this gospel, begins with this premise, and the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The premise is deity came down. God came down. And God became a man. I see Jesus. I see God. It is hard for me to see a man. It is hard for me to take God and reduce Him to human form. But that's exactly how He's shared in Scripture. That's exactly what everybody in that day and age saw. That's what they experienced. And so it was hard for them to see the Son of God. And so John is trying to encourage the readers to see more than just a man. But for you and I, it's this. It's imperative that we also see Him as just a man. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to go through Scripture. And let me just tell you right off the bat, I know many of you probably like to turn, you like to write notes. Please forgive me, but I'm going to be moving rather fast and I'm doing it only for this purpose so that you'll see how many times in Scripture the humanity of Jesus is emphasized to us. Those who are reading and experiencing this story 2,000 years later, we see Son of God. It's hard for us to see man. But here's what we're going to do. We want to recognize His humanity. We want to see Him as flesh and blood. And here's why that's so important. So that we'll see and understand that we have a Savior who can sympathize with us and be a friend to us. One of the blessed, blessed privileges of a friendship is a friendship can go like this. I know. I know how that feels. You have a Savior who knows? And the more we see Him as He is or was, I believe you'll have a greater love for Him because your understanding of Him will be magnified greatly. I, I know what, Peter, uh, what Pilate was trying to do. He was simply trying to say, He's just a man! But He was a man. He was a man. He experiences joy. He experiences fear. He experiences pain. He experiences anxiety. He experiences suffering. So let's paint the picture this morning of Emmanuel God with us. Let's begin, first of all, with what you see in his attitude. He was a man of great compassion. Maybe it was because, certainly you see it in his upbringing, that he was one who understood what it was like, if you will, to kind of be the underdog. He grows up in an obscure village. Uh, just out of curiosity, anybody here know where Lubbock, Texas is? Oh, yes! Anybody here vacation in Lubbock, Texas? Yeah, oh, weird people you are indeed. <laughs> I grew up there. 
to meet Phoenix. That's where you vacation. In fact, my family and I, we just came here back in May. We enjoyed hanging out the whole state, climbed Camelback back when we were here, and I did it again yesterday. This is a great place to hang out. You're not going to find a Camelback in Lubbock, Texas. <laughs> Nazareth. In that day and age, Nazareth. Mm. In fact, one of Jesus' own disciples would go, Nazareth. But it wasn't just a common place. He had a very common upbringing. And he had a common occupation. You ever thought about what it would have been like to have been a carpenter in that day and age? To be the mason? Jesus, fix the yoke. Jesus, level this table. Jesus, build this wall. Jesus, this isn't right. Can you fix this here? Can you imagine what it was like? Can you see the calluses on his hands? Can you see the hard day's work? You know, one of the interesting things about the whole gospel story is the gospel story never gives us great insight into age 12 up to 30. There's absolutely nothing. You wonder why that is? Maybe it's because it was just like everybody else. Just like everybody else. We don't read much about his father after age 12. The assumption is he lost a parent. Just like everybody else. So when he begins his ministry, you see compassion. Great compassion. When he looks at the lepers in Mark chapter 1 and verse 41, it says, He was moved with pity and he touched him. In Matthew 14, 14, he has compassions on the crowds and he heals them. In Matthew 9 as well as in Mark 6, we see that he looked upon the people as sheep without a shepherd. They had no leader. Uh, you can imagine what he would say of us living in this age today. <laughs> you have no leadership. He'd go, I know. I know. In Mark chapter 8 and in verse 2, he has compassion on a crowd that hasn't eaten for three days. In Luke 7 and in verse 13, he has compassion on a widow. Oh, isn't that interesting? He has great compassion for a widow. And he goes up and touches the coffin to bring her son who has just died back to life. In Matthew 20, he'll have compassion on two blind men and healed them. The point is, over and over and over again, you hear our Lord's compassion and you hear it in His teaching. In the Good Samaritan, what was the distinction made between the Samaritan and the others? He had compassion on them. Uh, turning your Bibles just for a moment, go, go to Luke 14. Luke 14, I want you to go and look at a story that I'm sure you've studied many times before. It's about the idea of a great banquet that is being shared and the one who is hosting the banquet invites all the dignitaries, all the people who are of the who's who list, but they don't come. And then he says this, alright, if they're not going to come, he tells his servants, his servants to go to the highways and the byways. You go out there and look for the lame, look for the crippled, look for those who would never have the opportunity to come to a banquet like this and you invite them and I want you to notice look in verses 21 to 23 as they're described and listen to what the servants are compelled to do they are to compel he compels them to compel think about that it is the idea that he wants them to know they belong 
here. You compel them. They're going to say, no, no, no. You say, yes, yes, yes. Because I know. I know what you're going through. I know how you feel. In fact, Jesus would often be described as a friend of sinners. One scholar put it like this. It would be impossible to overestimate the impact these mills had upon the poor and the sinners. By accepting them as friends and equals, Jesus was taking away their shame, their humiliation, and guilt. By showing them that they mattered as people, He gave them a sense of dignity and released them from their captivity. I tell you, if you're going to look at Jesus as a man, Begin with what was in his heart. He has compassion. He hurts for those who hurt. Uh, you look on in, in Scripture, and here's something that you see, and this is going to be a challenge for us, is we're going to find that as a man... He's limited as a man. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. Don't, don't jump on me. I, I'm not saying he's not deity, but if you take the form of a man, if you come down as a man, then you get all the limitations that come with manhood. You get the physical limitations. You get the emotional limitations. For example, notice, Scripture makes it clear, Jesus was hungry. I probably shouldn't bring that up to you right now. What happens when you get real hungry? You get a little what? Hangry. Can you see Jesus? Can you see Jesus that way? Well, Scripture points it out. He, he, he was hungry. He was also thirsty. He knows what it's like to feel, I need water. I'm dehydrated. I'm feeling this emotional downward spiral because I'm in need. He was tired. Uh, his, his tiredness is reflected in John 4 when he goes to the well and he goes, I just need to sit down. Y'all go get the food. I got to stay here. I'm tired. And then you see that he's sleepy. All right. Uh, one of the classical stories of Jesus being sleepy is when? In the boat, right? All right. Just out of curiosity, don't know what goes in your mind in that story. But sometimes here's what we do when we read these stories about Jesus the Son of God. We kind of put it in our mind that He goes and He gets on the boat and He's going, it's going to be really nasty here in just a moment. I know it's coming. It's really going to be, but here's what I'm going to do. What I'm going to do. I'm going to go make myself fall asleep so they have to wake me up and then I'm going to jump up and go, what's wrong with you guys? <laughs> now be honest with yourself. Jesus wasn't always calm, cool, and collected. In that story, he slept and slept so hard because he was so exhausted that he literally slept through a storm on a boat. 
That's what Scripture says, folks. And not only does he know the physical limitations that come with having the need for sleep, you'll notice that Jesus also has strong desires. He knows what it has to have strong feelings. In fact, in Luke twenty-two fifteen, 15, he says to his disciples, I have strongly desired to eat this meal with you. In fact, I've been looking forward to this Passover like none other. I've been strongly wanting to sit down with you and talk to you and share with you. In Luke 7, in verse 9, whoa, this is a challenge for us. Do you remember the centurion that came in and had faith do you know what it says in scripture that Jesus was surprised now think about this folks I don't know about you but something about me just always kind of assumed Jesus knew what was coming around the next corner in fact every day when he got up he would just simply look at his day planner and go okay that's going to happen here oh yep this person's going to want that here and you just in your mind think well he's deity he's God he knows everything that's going to take place but not as a human And notice Luke says, Jesus was surprised. What? I didn't see that coming. You mean this guy? This guy believes and nobody else does? What's wrong with these people? Surprised. He wondered. This one's kind of painful. Because this is where he's performing miracles and he's sharing these messages and people just don't believe. And Jesus is like, what? What? If you ever want to look at his emotion, he got angry. Now again, you and I struggle with that. Because we generally think if somebody gets angry, well, they've lost control. Well, not necessarily. Because Jesus cried at the same time. I want you to see and I want you to grasp and understand the Scripture wants us to look at Jesus in His humanity. And if you in your mind have Him as always calm, cool, and collected, that He knew everything that was coming around the next corner, and everything was just kind of easy for Him because He was the Son of God, then you've totally missed the point. He had to experience life like you and I experience life so that He can be a sympathizer with us. Notice this, a little bit later when His disciples were trying to keep the children from coming. You remember that story? Remember the kids wanted to come up there and, 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 and they were trying to hold them back. No, 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 this is an adult-only party. It, it says Jesus became indignant. Just out of curiosity, how did that look like? Did Jesus go, hey guys, I really want you... That's not good, Peter. Is that what indignant looked like when your mom got mad at you as a kid? <laughs> Is that how it looked? <gasps> That's okay, you broke the window, don't worry about it. Is that the way it looked? See, this is hard for us. They're keeping the kids from coming up there. Beer! In fact, he probably pulled him aside. If you ever do that again, if you ever do that again, so help me. Because that's indignant. And I would imagine any time after that, whenever a kid came up, the disciples ran and said, hey, there you go. There first. Everybody back. Whoa, whoa, back. Because they saw the Lord filled with emotion. They saw Jesus sigh. Oh, 
John 11, when he's standing at the tomb of Lazarus, he groans. I know many of you know that groan. Oh. What am I going to do? Oh. This hurts so bad. He was in agony. Luke says his agony was so fierce. His sweat was like blood. Now, when you visualize Jesus in the garden, do you have him standing like this, praying to God? To really see him probably in the garden, you need to see him on all fours beating the earth. Crying. Crying. Dear Lord, please, if there is another way, please, 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 not this. And to see him as a man is to see that he cried. I want you to see and understand, folks, that Scripture paints the picture of Jesus as a man. And the Hebrew writer is going to share with us why. For in the days of his flesh, he offers up prayers and supplications with loud cries. Why? Because he hurt as a man. And if you can't see Jesus' humanity in the others, you definitely got to see it in this. He was a man of sorrow. Even Paul will remind us in Romans chapter 8 that the whole earth groans. Jesus groaned as a man. In Luke 12 and in verses 49 to 50, and he'll say this over and over again to his disciples, I have came to cast fire on the earth, and oh, oh, I would that it was already kindled, but I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. I want you to see that Jesus goes on to describe how He hurts so bad in John 12. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. For this purpose I came to this hour. Can you see Jesus in the struggle? Can you see Him dealing with humanity when knowing what is the right thing to do, but it's so hard to do? Can you see Him with the struggle of striving to be righteous? Can you see Him with the struggle of striving to overcome overcome sin. Can you see him as a man? And then there's this. Jesus said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. I hurt so bad right now. And notice, this is before the scourging. This is before the betrayal. I hurt so bad right now I could die. That's humanity. That's pain. I want you to see that your Father loves you so much 
that he came down to experience firsthand life in a fallen world. And he would experience it like no other. Because he would accept the agony, agony and pain and consequences that he did not deserve. And his sweat would become like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Now can you understand, can you understand why somebody in that day and age would find it hard to believe this is God? He hurts like me. He's hungry like me. He has limitations like me. And John goes, yeah. The Word became flesh. That's why the Hebrew writer says, in the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death. And He was heard because of His reverence. Quoting another scholar, we have a Lord who understands how we feel. Who knows the pain of living the consequences of other people's sin. The frustration of living in a fallen world. Yet there's more. As we follow Christ and our way of thinking and dig into the mind of Christ, we also begin to experience the feelings expressed by Christ. Because you see His compassion for the needy. His mercy for those who suffer. And His great love for those who are seekers. You also see His indignation toward the self-righteous in the spiritual elite. What you see is your Father. What you see is your Savior. And if you ever doubted His humanity, please listen to the first words on the cross. My God my God, why have you forsaken me? I believe Jesus said that for multiple reasons. One is, I think he was drawing everybody's attention to that psalm. I think that's exactly what he was doing. When you and I say go to a certain psalm, we go psalm number. They didn't have numbers. They would just simply recite the first line and you knew which one to go to. He said, read this. It's happening before your eyes. But I also believe Jesus said it because he felt it. And you never feel more like a human than when you really feel the emptiness, the fear. the wonderment 
is God really there? I'm not saying Jesus doubted God. No. But you only feel like a man when you feel that separation from God. And I want you to grasp and see that you have a Savior. You have a Lord who is willing to come down to this earth to take you by the hand. And there's no pain you'll experience. There's no frustration that you'll feel. There's no weakness. No humility. No shame. That your Lord cannot say to you, I know. I know. And the Word became flesh to come down, to take us by the hand and say, trust me. I'm leading you to safety. One writer put it like this, God entered an ordinary home with an ordinary family. Isn't that amazing? Uh, Paul in Philippians 2 says, he, he, he came to be a man. And not just any man, He became to be a servant man. Think about it. He could have taken any form. He could have come as deity in the idea that He could have come and taken the role of a king or a mighty warrior or some powerful politician. But no, 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 no. He said, I want to be a servant. I want to be at the bottom. Because only when I can go to the bottom can I lift every man up. And that's what I want to do. He was not ashamed to do a man's work. <laughs> I've often wondered what it was like for the people who lived in Nazareth after they realized it was God. Do you know they were going like, oh my word, and I got upset with the way he built the yoke. <laughs> oh, and I complained, or I... Oh, I I knew I should have paid, oh, I should have paid a lot more, and I thought I was just getting a good deal. But that was the point. Your God knows what it's like to be taken advantage of. He's been there. He knows what it's like to be tempted. But He also knows how to share love And because He's the perfect Savior, He's the perfect Judge. Because He really does know. And your God was nailed to a cross. If you ever doubted His humanity, That literally proves the case. He died. And so what does that mean for you and me? Let me just give you a few take-homes, because these are powerful. I know what Pilate was trying to do. Behold the man! Oh, yes. He became a man. 
He was still deity. We're not diminishing that by any stretch of the imagination. But His deity is greatly amplified in His perfect humanity. For we have a Lord who sympathizes with our weaknesses. We have a Lord who understands our struggles. We have a Lord who motivates us with His love. We have a Lord who inspires us to lead as He led. That's how you do it, shepherds. That's how you do it, mom and dad. That's how you do it, brethren. And ultimately, we have a Lord who wants us to excel at the human experience like He did. Isn't it amazing that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us? And we beheld His glory, the epitome of all grace, in all truth. Ladies and gentlemen, that's your God. That is the true God. That's your Savior. Who's reaching to you right now and say, I know. Come to me. He may not know what it feels like to be a sinner. But he knows what it feels like to suffer the consequences of sin. Because he says to each and every one of us, I'll take that away from you. I'll do that for you. And he can only do that as a man. Praise God. Jesus became a man. If you're looking for a leader this morning, you're looking for a savior, you're looking for confidence and hope, you're looking for grace, I know where to find it. Jesus, the man of God. If we can help you in any way in your walk with the Lord, won't you come while we stand and sing? Science calls swimming beings, oh, 